motherhood, and work. There isn't a right way or best way to juggle these, despite what you've heard or been told. No, really, there's not. Part-time work has been the best fit for me and my family, but it's tough to navigate any gray area of motherhood when you don't fit neatly in a box. My name is Tiana Fesh, and welcome to the Part-Time Jungle Podcast, where we are going to build conversation and community around swinging motherhood and work in a way that works best for us and our families. No matter your path, it's an adventure with highs, lows, and in-betweens. Let's explore together. Welcome to the Part-Time Jungle Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I am excited to be here today with our guest, Kiara Fritzler. Thank you so much for joining me, Kiara. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Me too. So I wanted to share a little bit more about Kiara. She is a 40-something single mom of a dynamo toddler who is feisty, loving, and hilarious, just like her mom. Kiara has found her passion and life's purpose in writing and is a ghostwriter, author, and blogger. Her ebook and workbook about supporting those going through a tough time sold out in 24 hours and has since helped so many who struggle with the right thing to say. She is a contributor to Mama Brain Magazine, is currently co-authoring two books that will be released in 2021, and is a consultant. She has an unhealthy obsession with Hawkins cheesies and gummy Coke bottles and only drinks red wine, coffee, and water and loves playing soccer. I love that. I'm, I'm definitely a lover of gummies, red wine, and coffee and could probably stand to drink more water. So I don't drink nearly enough water, but that's the only other thing I <laughs> That's definitely something that always is on my list of things to get better at. So we, we can both be a work in progress with that one for sure. Perfect. So Kiara, I wanted to start off by uh, asking you about your mom and work juggle as a single mom. So I'm just curious, what has that journey looked like for you? And then also, what are some of the challenges and successes you have experienced as well as, do you have any strategies, tips, or resources that you've found to be helpful along the way? Well, an interesting thing about my journey as a single mom and someone who works part-time slash sort of full-time is that I never thought that I, if I had children, that I would want to stay at home with them. I was so career-focused and so oriented on climbing that ladder. And that was what I identified as. It was my main thing. And I didn't understand why women would give up their careers to stay at home with children. It just was, I always said, you know, I'm going back to work when my kid's like six months old. Like I don't, I don't need to be there. I've worked way too hard to let a kid interrupt that and take that away from me. And I always had the best advice or the most keen insight on being a mom and parenting before I actually became one. But yeah, so I had some, what will I call them? Unfortunate blessings come through my life where I actually was headhunted by this company that seemed really great. They hired me for a director position or so they said, and then they laid me off three months later. And this was right when 
the the oil and gas industry, like that's when it really started to crash and work was really hard to find. And then beyond being laid off, my ex-husband and I were at the time were going through fertility treatments. So I had that going on too and didn't think I would ever be a mom. So I had this whole thing where I was, I had no identity. I felt like I didn't think that I was anything. I didn't have a career and then I didn't have a child. And I plunged into deep, deep depression and didn't know what to make of myself. And I call that an unfortunate blessing because it forced me to figure out who I am aside from all of my definitions and all of the titles that we give ourselves and other people give us. I remember my husband at the time saying, well, you're, you're my wife and I love you. And I think it probably was maybe a little bit hurtful. It was also very true. I said, that's not good enough. That's not enough for me to have just that as my thing. And I needed to figure out who I was aside from what other people said. So I ended up getting pregnant. Obviously I have my daughter who's two and a half now. And at the time I was uh, working part-time sort of consulting on and off doing occupational health and safety. And uh, it, it really changed my world and what I thought I wanted to be as a person. I'd figured out who I was and then all of a sudden was mom and this tiny human. It was more important to me than work and work was still important. But I think if I would have had a full-time job, I might have seen things a little bit differently, but it gave me the opportunity to look at her and my life and sort of how I could make that all work. So I decided that I would never go back to a Monday to Friday eight to 4.30 job. I would never sit in an office again. I would, and this sounds extreme, but, and I know it would never happen because I have enough people that love me that it wouldn't get to this, but I say I would rather live in my vehicle than go back to that type of thing. I wanted to be there with my daughter and see her grow and learn. So now I do the consulting 30 hours-ish a week, and then I write as well, sort of in my leftover time and my daughter goes to various places during the week I think it's really good for her to let other people love her and for her to get some social time realized becoming a single mom that all of a sudden I then needed to do more work because I didn't have this extra income and I also wanted to raise her so making this work for me was really really important and finding something that I loved I woke up for, I think I did occupational in the city for like 17 years. I was angry every day and I knew I had to figure out what I loved. And I always knew sort of logically that being a mom was exhausting, but I didn't realize how emotionally exhausting it is to love somebody so much that you would literally give your life for them. And then in the same moment, want to put them in an Uber and just be like, drive, dude, drive. Like, just <laughs> get this little person as far away from me as possible. <laughs> so I think if we're talking about a tip and sort of something that's worked for me and that I'm still actually very bad at is it's so important. And obviously my experience as a mom with somebody living with me, like a partner is limited, but I imagine it probably applies to everyone is asking for help and not being ashamed. We have this 
thing where as women were expected to do it all and be it all and be strong all the time and that asking for help is a weakness. But something I've realized in my sort of part-time work journey and making this work is that allowing people to help you is allowing them to love you. And that not asking for help is actually selfish because you are denying other people the opportunity to love you. I would say is a really, another really big thing is to like sort of in that is find a community of women that can love you through things and talk you off ledges and kick your butt a bit. I have some amazing women in my life, you included. Um, One of the things I do struggle with is I don't really know a whole lot of single moms. And so if there are any single moms listening, find me. (laughs) We can connect. We can be Instagram friends. I'd love for us to sort of take this journey together. I'm new. Yeah. And I think it's important to make sure that as a mom, regardless of sort of your work situation, that you don't want to swap your life with someone else all the time, because then you're just switching your problems for somebody else's. Like it's always easy to look at someone else's life and think that it's better and that they're doing a better job managing their work and their kids. And maybe it looks that way, but they have problems too. Absolutely. We all have those things going on. And that's a big reason why I wanted to start this podcast, because I think it's so important to be sharing and talking and exploring our stories about motherhood and work, because sometimes it's exactly that. It feels like everybody else has it all together. And that's not, in fact, the case. There's always so much more to the story. And you're so right. I think all of us, a common theme is that hesitation in asking for and accepting help as well, right? We sort of get so caught up in all the things that we're doing and feel like maybe we would be inconveniencing somebody by asking them for help. Or even when help is offered, we feel guilty for whatever reason for taking that help that is so generously being offered. So I really appreciate that advice that you have shared. And I know that co-parenting is part of your juggle as a single mom. And I'd love to hear, because you shared that you have a motto behind successful co-parenting, and I'd love to know what winning at co-parenting looks like for you. Yeah, I'm going to give myself some credit there. I, like my ex-husband and I, we are doing a great job of co-parenting. And I mean, I'll give him credit for that too. And one of the reasons behind that is that I truly believe and that my motto is that my opinion of him is none of my daughter's business. She does not need to know that. And that has brought so much peace to our co-parenting and into my home and into, I think, sort of everybody's lives, separation, divorce. I mean, anyone that I've ever seen go through it for the most part is it's angst and it's hatred and it's anger. And I'm not saying that's not normal and that it's not okay to feel that way because I have, and I did, but that was never something that my daughter needed to know. The only things that she needs to know is this is your dad and he loves you. And children are basically just caught in the crosshairs of two people who, for whatever reason, are not going to be together anymore. And the only thing that children really need to know 
is that they have parents or a parent that loves them. And then however that looks as it evolves into whatever the relationship ends up being. So I've, I've never been interested in limiting their time together. I know that the standard thing is every other weekend for most dads and I'm not slamming that that's a standard and I get that. But for me, that didn't, that didn't work because, well, partially because she needed to develop a relationship with her dad and that was important. And he needed to know her and she needed to know him and she needed to know that, that he was important in her life. And then it was important for me, like single moms out there that do this and only their kids are only with their dad every other weekend. Ladies, I do not know how you do that and stay sane. I had a friend once who said to me, needing to take breaks from your kids is inexcusable. And I was like, what? That is all kinds of crazy talk. I need a break and as humans, we need a break from everything. Like I need a break from myself sometimes just to sort of shut things down. So yeah, it, that was not something I could go to. So he's the first one that I go to whenever I need to talk about something with her. And it's the same for me. We talk things out. I don't ever allow anyone to speak negatively about him in front of her. Ever, ever. I mean, people have opinions and they always do. And I'm sure they do of me as well. But she doesn't need to know that. Anytime a child thinks that the person who is half of who they are is perceived in a negative way or hears bad things, that's reflective on that child. And that is, that's not okay by me because I think she's absolutely amazing and I know that she's half him. So for her to think it otherwise, is, it's not okay by me. So we're still a family. He has been so helpful with my work. If I, when our day home has been shutting down with his COVID business, I, this is what I need. And I mean, it's unfortunate for him. He hasn't been working, but he's been able to spend more time with her and been able to fill in like that. So that's been really helpful. Like having that relationship with him has been so supportive of this journey for me with working and finding my passion and moving along with that. That's so great. I do. It's so nice to hear because you do hear very different stories. I appreciate you acknowledging the reality of those emotions, right? Like that anger and hurt and frustration and all of that. But at the end of the day, I love how you're both keeping your daughter in mind at the forefront. And it sounds like you've really found great success and are winning at co-parenting, which is wonderful. That is so nice to hear. And I love, too, that there's that support in place for you to do the things that you're doing and love to do. And writing is clearly a passion of yours. And I'm curious, how did you decide to become a writer? And with that, I'd also love to know what led you to start your blog called Carry On Kiera. What is it all about and who is it for? It's actually funny because I've always written. Even when I was little, I loved just writing things down. I found that that was the easiest way for me to express myself and to get opinions and thoughts and considerations out. And uh, I mean, I also think I'm hilarious. So I would like to write things to make people laugh and make people smile. And I mean, don't get me wrong, I love to talk. <laughs> but I find that the written word has sort of a staying power. As you remember, when we went back and looked at all of our notes and read them again, there's something about 
reading something that has actually been written down that affects you and your heart more. And so much of my life has been shaped by things that I've read. And I kept feeling this tugging towards being a writer. And I would think about it and I would sort of daydream about it. And then I kept getting offered better and better positions in my previous career. So I push it aside and push it aside. And then I, this, so what was it, about a year ago, I, I was going to be a psychologist. I had decided I had hired a career consultant. We went through all this testing and my number one thing was I was supposed to be a lawyer, which I'm not surprised about, but I mean, it's not feasible for me for a number of reasons. And lots of people say it's never too late to live your dreams. Well, what? I'm 42. And if some 38 year old partner told me to go get him coffee at two in the morning, I'd get fired because it would not go over well. So I just, that's something that will work for me. So I was going to start my master's degree in psychology in January. And then I suffered a really severe concussion in November. I couldn't remember a four-digit pin, let alone start a master's degree. It just, it was not going to happen. It was an absolute impossibility. So then I started looking at other options and I was like, oh, I'm going to be a pharmaceutical sales rep or I'm going to be a writer. So for me, I believe that God has a plan for me and I believe that he (laughs) shaked his head at me a number of times when I've tried to push my agenda forward. So I was like, okay, so I'm going to go forward with this pharmaceutical sales thing. So I met with somebody and he had a lead for me and he knew that he could get me in and it was going to be good and it was going to work with my daughter. And then COVID hit. And I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm not self-absorbed enough to think that God sent COVID for me to not be a pharmaceutical sales rep. (laughs) But it was an answer. It was this is the thing that you are meant to do and this is what you will do. And so I was like, all right, I'm giving it a go. So I went and I'm a big researcher. So I did a bunch of research on how to write, how to blog, and was still sort of trying to figure out exactly what writing would look like to me. And I started my blog. And uh, so the reason it is, so carry on Kiera is just sort of a byproduct of trying to find a URL that wasn't taken, funny enough. But it's become something that I like the sound of it, I like the alliteration, and it is what I'm doing. I'm constantly carrying on. And when I was dating back in my 20s, I had in my dating profile, we all have baggage, but your baggage should be carry-on. And the way I thought of that is, have you dealt with it enough that you can manage it? I don't expect anyone to show up without baggage, but how many porters do you need? Are we Kim and Kanye showing up at the airport with a thousand suitcases behind us or do we have our one roller and a carry-on of stuff because we've dealt with it yeah it just it evolved from there the blog itself is for anyone who is feeling stuck and like they are struggling with defining themselves beyond a diagnosis a past a circumstance, any sort of definitions that society placed on us or can place on us and uh, want to find their joy beyond that. I think it's so important to figure that out. And it's a little bit, to be honest, I'm not very good at handling people with kid gloves. So that's why it's the stop feeling sorry for yourself part and then go out and find your joy. It is so easy to feel stuck. So it could be 
just where we are emotionally or a circumstance that we're finding ourselves in. And so just as you were saying that your message is to stop feeling sorry for yourself and to find the joy. So I'd love you to chat a little bit more with me about what exactly that means to you and why is that message so important? Well, I'll sort of backpedal a little bit because I know stop feeling sorry for yourself for a lot of people can be really harsh sounding. And I get that. And I'm not saying that you cannot and should not honor any feelings of despair or sadness or hopelessness that you may be feeling because when we get struck with news that we don't know what to do with, that's that's all normal and that's natural. And for me to say that I did not spend days laying on the floor, sobbing, listening to Ray LaMontagne and feeling incredibly sorry for myself, I'd be lying. I did that. And that's normal. I think it's important to honor a grieving process when something, when your life doesn't go the way you planned. But equally as important to honoring that is then seeing yourself as strong and as the person you were created to be, and you were not created and you were not given that situation to wallow in it and to allow it to define you. I have never, ever believed in the why me phenomenon. I don't really know why. I mean, it's even when I was younger, I didn't understand that. I always thought, what am I meant to do with this situation? So this happened and this sucks and I'm going to let it suck for a bit. But the why is so irrelevant to me because it's already happened. So why is inconsequential. So I always thought, what am I going to do with this? It's important not to allow our past and our diagnosis and our circumstances to define us. And I have depression and I deal with anxiety and I have polycystic ovarian syndrome and I went through infertility and miscarriages and divorce and now single mom and I'm in my forties and I have all of these things that could define me if I let them. They're part of who I am, but they don't define everything of who I am. I am unkind. I mean, these are things that my daughter and I say every morning. I am kind. I am smart. I am brave. I'm strong. I'm beautiful. And that is who I am. Those other things are just part of, you know, my life. So there's this whole concept of post-traumatic growth, which is It's not the opposite of post-traumatic stress disorder, but we talk a lot about post-traumatic stress disorder, which is a very real and debilitating thing. But for some reason, nobody talks about this post-traumatic growth. And what it is, is that people who go through life-altering traumatic circumstances are, it actually, if they have the proper supports and the proper um, things in place and the proper outlook, that they can actually discover things about themselves that they would have never known. There is an inner strength and resilience and incredible part of them that they would have never known about if they hadn't gone through that. Finding your joy in those circumstances is taking the opportunity that you've been given. And I think it's important to, for me anyway, to distinguish between joy and happiness. I actually I've always been annoyed by this finding happiness and seeking happiness. I think that actually leads to a lot of depression because you can't be happy all the time. And seeking happiness is so harmful to your mental health because happiness is not a state of being. It's a byproduct of contentment. And if you can be content in where you're at, then you will find moments of joy. And there will be moments of sadness as well. But 
constantly seeking that. It just always bothered me that that was something that was pushed so long. And then joy is also a byproduct. But for me, joy is better than happiness because it's less fleeting. And joy is something that you feel sort of within you and that you've created as opposed to externally, to me anyway. I think that is a great message. And what do you think has been the the key thing for yourself that has helped you to find that joy? One of my, well, one of my biggest things is my faith and in believing that there is, there's a greater purpose for me and trusting that I was given these circumstances, not for no reason at all. My sister-in-law said to me once a long time ago, she said, I don't know what it is, but I truly believe that you are going through what you're going through and have had all of these things for a reason. So I believe that moving on and moving past that and honoring all those things is important because I'm here to make other people not feel alone in it, to remove the stigma. Like nobody wants to talk about these things. And for me, it just like, I think it should be normal to talk about stuff that is affecting you. And no, you don't need to go and talk to a stranger about it, but to remove a lot of the shame behind it, I think is really important. I've had like, my family has been wonderful and I've had some amazing lifelong friends who have helped carry me through and have encouraged me and checked in on me. And in the moments when I felt like I didn't have that worth, who reminded me of all of that. I just, I love so much that you are creating conversation around this and creating, in a sense, a community through your blog where you're saying, these are my experiences and you may have your own experiences and it's, and it's okay because I think so much of that is so invisible. I know as a teacher, when I, you, you look around your classroom of students and really you don't know what they're going through or how their day started, even with the people that we bump into as we're avoiding them currently on the sidewalk or when we're out in the grocery store. Like there's so much more to people's stories. And I think it's a, a very important conversation to mm-hmm. be having. Our oldest struggles with anxiety, and that is very invisible, and he hides it very well when he's at school. And so that's been so tricky to navigate and and to support him in acknowledging that that is a part of who he is, and that's okay, But also then to encourage him to sort of be able to advocate for what it is that he needs and to have that conversation. That's a tough thing. It's tough enough as an adult, let alone as a 14-year-old. So I really appreciate any and all opportunities to be getting real and having those conversations and and talking about those things. And on that note, in the part-time jungle, we obviously like to keep things real because of just that. It often looks like and feels like everyone has it way more together than we do. But motherhood is truly an adventure. So I'm curious if you have a mommy mess up that you'd be willing to share with us. So it could be a mistake, something you wished you had done differently, or a learning opportunity that you've had as a mom. 
Uh, the first one that comes to mind is, so as I said earlier, my daughter is pretty spicy. Actually, it was so funny this morning. I was just finishing breakfast and she had already gone off and we have a cat and the cat's name is Millie. And so Adria, that's my daughter. She comes back into the kitchen and she says, mommy, Millie is very spicy this morning. She don't want to talk of me. I was like, she's, she's very spicy, which is what I often call her is a little spicy meatball. So yeah, so she's, it, she's quite spicy, my daughter. And I don't know if all toddlers do this. I mean, I've only ever raised one, but she likes to do this thing where if I ask her, she wants to do something, she'll say no. And I'll say, okay. Oh, I want to do it. I want to do it. Mommy, please. I want to do it. I'm like, well, then why did you say I didn't want to do it? Like, I don't understand this. So we were going for a walk one day and we were all dressed and ready to go out the door. And so I said, okay, let's go for a walk. She said, I don't want to go for a walk with you, mommy. So I said, all right. So I opened the door and started walking and she had her shoes on and everything. So she could have easily followed me out the door. But I was like, I'm not playing this game anymore. Like you can come or you cannot come. I mean, I wasn't actually going for a walk without her. But anyway, she says, bye mama. And she slams the door behind me. And I was like, oh, so I'm like, you're in trouble. So I go to open the door and a little segue is that my place was built in 1980 and the door and the door handle are still from 1980. There's a way that if you play with it too much, you can disengage the outside latch. And so she's trying to open the door. And in doing that, she disengaged the outside latch and I could not open the door. So I start panicking. I mean, I don't really know why I was so panicked, to be honest, but here I am trying to teach her a lesson. And then she's locked in the house. And so she's freaking out and I'm freaking out. And my neighbors are thinking I'm full on crazy pants lady because I'm pounding on the window, trying to figure out how to get her to move the knob to re-engage the door. And I'm running around to the back and I'm screaming her name. And I'm like, well, this is not helpful. So anyway, eventually she got her hand around the little doorknob and I replaced the entire thing the next day. But yeah, sometimes when we try to teach lessons, we do not teach lessons. <laughs> she learned nothing that day. Absolutely nothing. Yes. I, I jokingly gave a caveat to our neighbors when we first had emergency remote teaching in the in the spring. Just if you hear shouting and screaming from inside of our house, we're okay. We're just trying to learn from home. <laughs> no, it's it is an adventure, isn't it? And sometimes we feel yes. like we are alone. <laughs> but yeah, no, these things happen and it's normal. We all have these circumstances. I locked our youngest in our vehicle when I was filling up for gas at Costco. He's in the vehicle. He's in the five-point harness. It was the very first day of school, and my my husband was so an, I, at the time he was the assistant principal of the school, and so and my cell phone was locked in there, so I had to borrow a phone, and he had to go home on the first day of school and get the extra keys and come save me. Anyways, I'm impressed so you knew his phone number. I don't know anybody's phone number. <laughs> like I know your old home phone number. I know like our friends from high school. I know their parents' phone numbers. That's yeah, it. it's so true. It's so your old phone number. I won't say because <laughs> I use it often for things, some of the digits from it. But yes. yeah, I don't know if it would work for locking, 
like having a child locked in your home. But I learned that if a child's locked in your vehicle and probably the same, like for, from a safety perspective, if you phone the city, they can send a fire truck out without Mm. lights and sirens and they can come and help you. I didn't know that. That would have been Mm. a little embarrassing, but it would have saved my husband a trip. (laughs) We almost needed the fire department the other day. My daughter stuck her head inside one of my wood cabinets. (laughs) perfect fit getting in but of course pulling out pulls the ears forward <laughs> so she was stuck there for a while I actually it's a good thing she's so tiny I made her climb completely in the cabinet and then come back up <laughs> oh my gosh yeah. never a dull moment you just no, never no. know what's gonna no. happen and sometimes I find then the things that come out of my mouth or the fact that I'm sort of retelling or reliving a story I think wow, I never would have ever thought, right? That mm-hmm. the things that, that was, you would say. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think I asked that on my Instagram one day, what was the funniest thing that you had heard or said because of a child or a, a spouse or whatever. And like the funniest one is that my friend told me, she was don't put pancake in your bum. Things that I had said to my daughter was like, please don't put meat in your eyes. <laughs> No, or please stop licking that car. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you think, huh, never, never a dull moment. And the adventure continues. I thought maybe, like, as they got a bit older, but no, no. No, it just changes. It just changes. It's all part Mm -hmm. of the adventure, that's for sure. And Kira, before we wrap things up, I so appreciate your openness and honesty and how real you've been throughout our discussion. And I'm just wondering if you have any final thoughts or words of wisdom for moms who are listening, who might be looking for some inspiration or support with their own mom work juggles. I think one of the most important self-realizations that I've had while I've been juggling all of this work stuff and single parenting and life and my daughter and stuff was I was talking to my therapist a little while ago and she says to me, I got to tell you, I'm so proud of you for doing all of this for your daughter. And I paused and I said, I'm not doing this for her. I'm doing this for me. And she reaps the benefits of me finding this balance with work and life and in creating a really good co-parenting relationship. And in the time that I spend with myself, I said, but I'm not doing it for her because I don't believe that if as a person, if you don't think that you are important enough, that then nobody else really is. And putting that pressure on other people to be your reason to get things done isn't fair to them and it's not fair to you. So I think sort of my last final thing is realize that as just solely as a woman, that you are worthy and that you are capable and that you are worth finding that balance for and that making things work for you. And then everyone around you reaps the benefits because you've then decided that you're worth it. I love ending on that note. Thank you so much. And Kira, thank you so much for being here and for sharing your story, ideas, and knowledge with us today. If our listeners want to learn more about you and the amazing work that you're doing, where are the best places to find you? I am on Instagram. I'm not really on Facebook much, but you can find me. There's 
uh, sort of underscore between each one of these words, but it's carry on Kiera. And I also have my blog is carryonkiera.com and you can reach me through any of those channels. And if you want to read and feel a little bit less alone and have a laugh, I mean, there is humor and joy to be found in everything, even infertility and the saddest, darkest moments. That's fantastic. I'll make sure to include that information. And thank you so much for sharing your time with us today, Kira. Thank you. This was wonderful. So nice to sit and chat like this. Thank you so much for listening to the Part-Time Jungle Podcast. I'm your host, Tiana Fesh. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Part-Time Jungle and on my website, www.theparttimejungle.com. I would love if you would subscribe to, rate, and review this podcast. Your feedback and support are so appreciated. See you next time where we will continue to explore the motherhood jungle together.